Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Heart of a Father. All right, praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is Father's Day, and I do have some things to say about fathers. Usually, you know, I kind of resist the notion that preachers have to follow the Christian calendar when they pick their topics, but this one's important enough that I thought I need to talk about fatherhood. So today we're going to talk about the heart of a father, the heart of a father. Now, I originally preached this as a part of a series on relationships back in February of this year, but today I want to pull it out as a single topic, a message Uh, and bring you some things that I didn't talk about last time. Partly because it's Father's Day, but also because fatherhood and the nuclear family are under attack today like never before. There are forces at work in our nation today that are openly advocating for the disruption of the nuclear family, which is by definition a father, a mother, and they raise children together. Amen. It's under attack as if it's some kind of evil that has to be rooted out. And by the way, just so you know, the nuclear family was instituted by God, and he hasn't changed his mind about the structure that he desires for the families of this world. Now, I know it doesn't always work out that way, but it is God's best. Let me show that to you in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 in the New King James Version. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, New King James. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I always get tickled when I read this. Because God is basically saying he created man, male and female. So I think about it like this. You're either a male man or you're a female man. Levity control. Stop this guy before he gets started. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. Essentially, God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the world with families that will help you take dominion over planet earth. Then the devil got involved and messed everything up. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, New King James Version. Once again, Genesis 3, verse 1 through 8, New King James. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Again, there are scriptures that tickle me. This is one of them. I don't even know if they had needles back then. And they're sewing fig leaves together to make costumes to cover their nakedness. I really wonder how that worked out. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's a little side note, but it's a good side note. When you fall into sin, when you miss it, and you miss it big. Don't run from the presence of God. Run to the presence of God so you can be restored, so you can repent and repair your relationship with the Lord God. Don't ever run from God when you've messed up. Stop coming to church. Stop hanging out with your Christian friends. No, 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 no. Run to church. Run to the altar. Repent and let God restore you and get you back on track. Amen. Won't charge you anything extra for that. But I want you to notice that in this passage, we see that after God created man and woman, he evidently took the initiative and began to pursue a relationship with them. He came down to spend time with them on a regular basis. You know, that had to be the case because even after they had fallen to sin, they still recognized the sound that he made as he walked through the garden coming to spend time with them. Amen. God was passionate about his family. He was intentional and pursued a relationship with the children he had created, the ones that he brought into this world. Because he had the heart of a father. We earthly fathers should follow the lead of our heavenly father and pursue relationships with the children that we brought into this world. Amen? They're not just a responsibility. They are opportunities for relationship. You know, you want them to know you and what you're all about, but you want to know them and what they're all about. Because even though, even though they came from you, they're bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, they carry your DNA. Fathers, they carry your blood. They can be a lot like you, but they can also be completely different from you. And that is a wonderful thing. That God creates this unique creature, yet he came from you and your wife. And there's opportunity for relationships there, and you should treasure those relationships. And I do. All three of my daughters are different. I see parts of me in them. I see parts of my wife in them. And then I see parts that I don't know where it came from, but thank God it did, because it's wonderful. How many know what I'm talking about? You got kids. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 3, let's continue. Verse 9 through 13 in the New King James Version. Genesis 3, 9 through 13, New King James Version. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Classic passing the buck. And the Lord God said to the woman, 
what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. (laughs) So why does God ask Adam and Eve questions that you know he already knows the answer to? Where are you? He knew exactly where they were. Who told you you were naked? Who told you to make those ridiculous costumes that you're wearing? Have you eaten from that tree? What have you done? The answer is simple. He's trying to give them a chance to come clean. And be restored. Let's talk about this. This is my paraphrase. Let's talk about this, guys. Tell me what you've done. Tell me what you were thinking. And let me show you what I can do to help you. Amen. That was the heart of God. Even after doing exactly what he told them not to do, his heart was still to draw them back to himself and help them out of their dilemma. Because he had the heart of a father. He was the original father. The father of fathers, the uber father. If anyone has a heart of the father, it is the father of God. Amen. So God's heart toward his family was not to condemn, but to restore. Amen. You know, when your kids mess up. You know, you feel like the spirit of slap comes on you. You know what I'm saying? And you just want to be harsh with them. That's not always the answer. Let them know you want them to be restored. Hey, listen, you did wrong, but I forgive you. And I'm willing to restore this relationship if you'll just talk to me. Tell me what you were thinking. What was on your mind? Why did you do these things? Let me understand you a little bit better so we can come to terms. We can reason together. Amen. And we can get you restored. So in God's case, because his heart toward his family was not to condemn but to restore, he went immediately into restoration mode in order to rescue the world's first family. Amen. And I hate to keep saying this like a broken record or for you millennial crowds, like a malfunctioning MP3 file. Crash and burn, right? That's because if you ever look into the deepest part of God's heart, as I've said many times already, you would find the heart of a loving father. And if you keep reading from Genesis chapter 3, you find out that the father God had already planned for man's fall from grace. It didn't take him by surprise. He didn't fall off the throne and turn to the Holy Ghost and say, what happened here? What are we going to do? He knew he had a plan that was conceived before space and time existed to rescue man from his fallen state. And he put it into effect immediately after the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. New King James Version, Genesis 3, verse 14 through 21. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Again, this is one of those scriptures that I read and I get tickled. I read this scripture and I remember the day when I was a young man. And my parents took me to the fair for the very first time. 
And I came to this marquee and this big uh, billboard that was advertising the snake lady. Half human, half snake. And then a guy would come out with a bullhorn and he would say, she walks, she talks, she crawls on her belly like a reptile. You know, people line up for a ticket to see the snake lady. So whenever I talk about snakes crawling on their belly, I think about that. That's just the way my brain works. Apologize ahead of time. Verse 15, and I will put enmity. That means warfare. I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Isn't it interesting that Satan has seed? If you choose to follow him, you are of him. You are of his seed. God said, I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Listen, God cursed the devil and prophesied that the day would come when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the devil. And thank God, 4,000 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus Christ defeated the devil and paid the price for the eternal redemption of all mankind. Amen. It was a done deal. And God said it would happen 4,000 years before it did. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now. I read this and I ponder a theological question that somebody posed to me years ago. What would have happened if Adam chose not to bite of that fruit after his wife did? You ever think about that? I think it gives you a clue as to why Adam so readily bit that fruit. I think he was intelligent enough to know that if I don't partake, I will be separated from the one that I love. And he was willing to go into sin and all that entailed so that he and his wife would not be separated. A very tragic love story, in my opinion. You can differ with me if you want to, because we won't know until we get up there and ask God. Or ask Adam and Eve. Adam, what about this? You know what they're saying about you on earth? You know, <laughs> you had a choice and you chose to go with your wife. Verse 18, because of this curse on the ground that he told Adam was going to happen, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I'm going to stop right there. Eve was the mother of us all. Adam was the father of us all. So we all have the same mama and daddy. No matter what race or ethnic group you belong to, we all got the same mama and daddy. So where is there any place for racism in the world today? 
We're all kin. All different shades and colors, but we're all kin. And we all have the same mama and daddy. So thus should be the end of racism. But people won't listen. People don't know the word of God. Or they do know the word and they won't walk in it. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And then verse 21, very interesting scripture here. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. I reckon so. The costumes they were wearing must have been very ridiculous. So follow my logic here. God cursed Adam and Eve and the earth because of their sin. And even though he had to drive them out of the garden into a much more hostile environment, he was still trying to help them and provide for them. He made clothes for them out of animal skins. Listen to this. Innocent animals had to shed their blood for the first time ever. Which was a type of the coming sacrifice of Jesus. He would one day shed his blood once and for all. Let me show you the fulfillment of that type in the New Testament. An obscure scripture that you may have heard of. John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16 and 17 in the King James Version. Because you just can't say it any better in this case than the King James. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A couple of things that jump out at me in that verse. His only begotten son and whosoever. Now I'm going to tell you right up front, I am not a Calvinist. I believe the plan of salvation is extended to every man and woman on the planet. It's up to you to say yes or no to Jesus. And this is my proof text. I'm going to read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you are a whosoever, you qualify for the plan of salvation. Amen. Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, as we saw in the beginning, in Genesis, God was not looking to condemn mankind, but was passionate about the restoration of mankind. So much so that he gave his only begotten son to save the world from destruction. Sometimes I think when we read John 3.16, we miss something very significant, and it is this phrase, his only begotten son. Let me break it down for you. God has many created sons, male and female, of course, as we said earlier, starting with Adam. But he only had one begotten son, one son that was born of a woman by the seed of his word. And even as precious as that son was to him, he offered him up to an excruciating crucifixion. So that after his resurrection, he would be the firstborn of many more begotten sons and daughter. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, He has begotten us again unto a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were able to be begotten again or born again because Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. Thank God for that. Amen. Glory to God. All because he had the heart of a father. So shouldn't we as earthly fathers follow the example of our heavenly father? To be willing to do anything to save our families? Even being willing to give our lives in order to save them? All the good fathers I've ever talked to will tell you straight up. That's exactly what I would do if it came to it. I would put my life down to save my family. On a less serious note, because that's kind of heavy. If you're willing, fathers, to give your life for your family, shouldn't you be willing to work hard to provide for their basic needs? If you're willing to die for them, surely you're willing to provide for them. Amen? Matthew 7 Verse 9 through 11 in the New King James Version. Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11, New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking. He's contrasting earthly fathers and the heavenly fathers. And you get you can learn a lot. Jesus says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? You ever think about that? To a hungry child, a stone is worthless. Even most earthly fathers wouldn't give their sons a plate of stones. Here's some pebbles as a side dish, you know. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If your son is hungry, most earthly fathers aren't going to feed them something that can bite back. Just doesn't make sense. Verse 11, if you then... Being evil, all right, that word there, evil, is from a Greek word that means fallen from an ideal state. This is talking about you're a fallen man. If you then, being fallen men, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Here, Jesus is making the case that if earthly fathers want to meet the basic physical needs of their children, how much more does your heavenly father want to meet the basic needs of his children? But you can also look at this passage in another way. Since God made man in his own image, earthly fathers naturally gravitate toward caring for their children the way that God does. In other words, the model of the heavenly father is one that earthly fathers tend to follow because it's the way that God made them. He put that father instinct in you, that protecting instinct in you, that providing instinct in you. It's part of your DNA and it came from God. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. New King James Version. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. New King James Now, this is Luke's version of the same parable that Jesus taught there in Matthew that I just read to you. But he brings some things out a little bit different that are significant. So let's read this one. Jesus says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, 
Will he give him a stone? Of course, we talked about it. No. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Of course not. If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. If you then, being evil, are fallen men, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So here we see in Luke's version, the same teaching, we see that the good things or the good gifts mentioned in verse 13 include both physical needs and spiritual needs. We're talking about food and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Amen? So again, following the model of the Heavenly Father, He's our example. Good earthly fathers will want to meet the basic physical needs of their children and also be willing to meet the basic spiritual needs of their children. Amen? Feed them, clothe them, give them shelter, take care of them, protect them, but also introduce them to the Holy Ghost. Lead them into the born-again experience. Lead them into the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And don't shy away from it because it's weird to them. Introduce them to the Holy Ghost at a very early age. I remember a couple of years ago, Ryder spent the night at Nana and Pop-Pop's house. That's my grandson. He's back there with Super Mom. Or Super Mom's right here. And... uh, he was in the bedroom and he was having trouble sleeping. So he asked me, Pop, Pop, would you lay down with me until I go to sleep? And so I laid down and, of course, he's like. <laughs> I just, he's just, you know, he's just tossing and turning. And I said, Ryder, how about if I pray for you that God will bring you peace and give you some sleep? He said, okay. So I put my hand on his chest and I said, in the name of Jesus, he shot up sat up and he just started going whoa 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 I'm like what happened he said what was that what 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 was that he felt the presence of God for the first time in his young life and I tell you I just about broke down and started crying I said Ryder that was the Holy Spirit he's like oh he had an instant respect for the Holy Spirit after that but I happened to be in the right place at the right time to introduce him to the Holy Spirit really for the first time in his life. Amen. Fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, you should be willing to be a part of that process. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, I knew this was going to be a short message, but I believe it will be an impactful message. So let me wrap it up by sharing some statistics on the impact of fatherless homes and from a perspective that lifts up the traditional nuclear family. That is a father and a mother raising children together. As I said earlier, that's God's best, but it doesn't always work that way. I myself was raised by a single mom, me and two brothers for the bulk of my childhood. So I understand your plight if you're not in a traditional nuclear family situation. But here's the bottom line. Even if you don't have the ideal family structure, even if you don't have the ideal family structure, if you trust God, He will give you the grace to raise your kids right and to avoid the statistics I'm about to read to you. Amen? 
He will be a father to the fatherless if need be. So I got these stats from a secular source, the U.S. Census Bureau. And whether they realize it or not, they illustrate the need not just for fathers, but for good, godly fathers. Good, godly fathers are needed in American homes today. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. They are four times as likely to live in poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, twice as likely to suffer infant mortality, twice as likely to suffer obesity, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison. Wow. And not a good wow. So with all these devastating statistics in mind, let me leave you with this. Hear my heart. Hear the heart of a father here. Fathers, set the example. Stay with and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Amen. Don't chase another skirt. Proverbs 5, 18 says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. And then verse 19 says, be thou ravished always with her love. Don't seek intimacy with anyone else but her. Amen. Fathers, love your families, love your wives, and love your children with the heart of the Father God. Be intentional. Pursue relationship with each of them, with your wife first and then your children. Protect, honor, and fight for your family. Raise them in church and make it your life's priority to pass on a spiritual legacy to your children. One that they will pass on to their children. The lives of future generations depend on it. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message, The Heart of a Father. If this message has blessed you and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating on our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area, and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.